0: Hello, and thank you for attending this discussion regarding the future of the energy industry and robotics. Uh, My name is Travis Schneider, and I'm a business development manager with RE Squared Robotics, a Pittsburgh-based robotics company, uh, a CMU spin-out focused on mobile manipulation. Uh, Joining me today is Anna Siefkin. Anna is the executive director of the Wilton E. Scott Institute for Energy Innovation at Carnegie Mellon University. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Anna, and thanks for joining me.
1: Very glad to be here thank you
0: great um, And just to get started with a couple of introductions first you know the Scott Institute serves as a hub for energy information, collaboration research and partnership for energy innovation at Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. The Scott Institute seeks to optimize energy resources through the reduction of environmental impacts of energy production and development of breakthrough technologies that will provide global impact and enable a sustainable, low-carbon energy future, something I think we all can get behind.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, RE-Squared is a, a CMU spin-off that specializes in outdoor robotic manipulation. Uh, since 2001, RE-Squared uh, developed a robotic technology to support explosive ordnance disposal for the US Department of Defense. RE-Squared is now looking to leverage its nearly two decades of experience in developing highly advanced uh, ground and underwater robotic technology for the DoD to support the energy industry. Um, So just to get things started here, Anna, perhaps could you get us started by talking a little bit about some of the recent observations within industry?
1: Yeah, well, I guess we could start. First, I wanna start by saying thank you for uh, being included in this opportunity. Obviously, we're always excited to partner with uh, spin-outs from the university, particularly those that have been so successful for so long. So thank you so much. Um, You know, it's interesting when we start talking about 2020, I mean, where to begin? Uh, We started the year with oil and gas prices down. Uh, We thought that might uh, be, you know, the story, but clearly it isn't the story of 2020. Um, Since March of this year, we've had tremendous numbers of disruption, not only to the industry from COVID-19, but also from other kinds of disruptions that we've had, sort of societal, environmental, um, and a movement around equity that's really important, uh, particularly because there's so many energy topics that are sort of wound up with equity. So really that reduction of carbon emissions, there's a lot of talk about that. So did we really see a reduction? And what we're finding is that it really was it was temporary. Um, so when the power plants shut down in other countries, when we stopped driving as much as we do, uh, we did see that sort of temporary, Um, you know, the clearing of the skies, we saw these pictures of other countries where suddenly they could see the blue sky. But we're seeing no indication necessarily of permanent behavioral shifts, um, particularly among people who are employed um, and those who are in a position to make decisions. So if you think about it, we've got those that are still employed and those those who are not employed. So we're finding that the people who are employed often have the ability, they have the kinds of jobs where they can work from home. They might have a personal car, whereas if they, we're doing the usual thing pre March of 2020, they might still be uh, taking public transportation, which um, now is seen as something that's not as potentially not as safe. Um, and those folks who um, are not employed um, are also having difficulty with transportation. So the temporary reduction that we've seen in energy demand in commercial buildings. Um, it seems to be offset in some cases, well, at the commercial building scale, it was, um, uh, we, we, we saw a drop in commercial buildings, uh, but the residential um, has been either flat or we've seen it increase. So we're seeing more and more people that are um, you know, changing their work patterns and that's having an impact. So interestingly enough, so as these regions come online, Um, carbon emissions are quickly going back to pre-COVID levels. Uh, So transportation systems have not only been sort of rocked by the virus from a ridership perspective, but now also from an employee standpoint. Uh, So we're seeing more and more folks who work for transportation systems um, getting sick. In fact, in Allegheny County, where we are in Pittsburgh, um, we've had several dozen workers uh, on those uh, transportation systems who have called in sick. So then finally, there's a lot of inequity issues that have come to the surface uh, because energy is often purchased, produced, I should say, in ways that um, are is disproportionately uh, impacts and negatively impacts folks in black and brown communities. And all of that has really come to the surface in the past couple of months. So you know, if you think about it, um, solar is something that we see as a solution but residential solar has never been something that's truly available to uh, people in their houses. And so here we are with people in their houses, they're stuck at home, they may or may not be able to get out to the places where they ordinarily have been able to cool or even cooling centers um, are struggling because you can't maintain social distancing. And now, you know, during the hottest part of the year, uh, we're starting to see that rent is due and some of those sort of caps are being lifted. So there's these enormous sort of energy impacts that are happening because of COVID uh, that have a a lot of, that well, they have a lot of impact on individuals, both in their work lives and in their home lives. So you add to that what I was talking about, that volatility that already existed at the beginning of the year. I mean, uh, gas and oil prices were in the negative. Uh, They were closing offices of certain locations and there was divestment uh, selling off of uh, assets. And so that has triggered um, this reduction in in production, reduction in spending, and it just, it goes lower and lower and lower. In terms of renewables, you know, we did a a talk just this morning, a webinar, and it was interesting because there was this deep discussion about renewables. Because as I mentioned, people saw, like, what if we had planned better? What if we had more renewables? Um, But it seems that uh, the supply chain is so disrupted that it's very difficult for some of those um, technologies to continue in a COVID situation. So even between academics, there's sort of a discussion that's going about is is solar and renewables, you know, is it down? Is production down? Um, And I think that in the coming weeks and months, we'll be able to see more about that. So in terms of sort of seeking solutions, right, which is what so much of this is about, um, there are ways that we can use technology to cope, um, be it uh, a, 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 an app, a contact tracing app, like the things that have come out of Carnegie Mellon, because we've been doing a tremendous amount with our COVID cast work, as well as uh, a Novid app that we've created to do contact tracing with Bluetooth technology. Um, but there's also ways I think that we can improve resiliency uh, as we move forward. So one of the ways that we've actually been doing it is really just trying to continue the conversation. As I mentioned just today, we had a talk on tackling energy poverty, which was talking about domestic and international strategies, challenges and insights, um, what we we can see in other countries versus what we're seeing here. And then coming up in July on the 23rd, um, we are doing a talk talking about investment. So we have folks that are coming in from, uh, you know, impact Uh, financial impact funders, Um, Prime Impact Fund is a major player, as well as Energy Foundry out of Chicago. So we're bringing together folks from national labs and different perspectives to talk about how investment can continue to happen to keep these new technologies moving forward even in this pandemic time. So those are some of the things that I've seen um, in terms of the balancing act that happens during something like a pandemic and time of major disruption.
0: Wow, that was that was a lot there, Anna. Thanks for uh, a it's lot an, it's of a great insights. a very
1: interesting time.
0: And and just just like you noted, I mean, it seems like um, we're all learning almost by the day amidst this very uh, dynamic environment. So so for the next portion of our discussion, I I wanted to kind of continue the conversation talking about some other challenges in industry, um, and some of these even predate COVID. Um, the first that come to mind is is labor costs um so you know despite I, I think a lot of hard work within the energy industry overall to reduce costs in general one area where costs have at least plateaued, plateaued if not risen with time is labor and while that's to be expected right everyone kind of expects that wages continue to increase with time there's an obvious tension between energy balancing energy costs and labor costs right um, so from my observation, it, it's really forced you know, utilities and a variety of other organizations to try to uncover new ways of improving uh, labor productivity in order to remain ahead of labor cost escalation. Um, I don't know, Anna, if you had any other insights more from like the renewable space that you'd like to, to share as well.
1: Well, yeah, you know, in the renewable space, we continue to actually see sort of a deflation of much of the hardware related costs in renewables. But the efforts are being cannibalized by decreased costs um, in, due to labor, and I would talk a lot about supply chain. So, mm-hmm. want to get these? Uh, if you want to get panels made or manufactured, um, there are very few manufacturing uh, sites in the United States. A couple in, mm-hmm. of a couple in Ohio, but that supply chain is critically important. So, when you're talking about labor, if you can't get the materials to you know to make or install renewables you're at a standstill so we see this increase in labor rates and labor competition um, that's coming on it's in the construction process and it's dependent on manual labor so it leaves developers without a whole lot of alternatives
0: yeah yeah and in either of those I, I agree in either of those cases I believe you know robotics have have matured to a point where we can um, not only reduce the uh, component costs so For instance of of the actual manufacturing of solar modules, but also to augment that manual labor, um, improving labor productivity, quality and safety, regardless if we're talking in the context of traditional like utility use cases or potentially producing those new uh, renewable assets. Um, One other topic that I wanted to raise as well is is one that I think often gets overlooked and that's operations and, and maintenance. Uh, What are are your thoughts there, Anna?
1: Yeah, so operations and maintenance costs have always been a concern, um, particularly within renewables, and I would also say within energy efficiency. So uh, both in the residential and commercial space, it can just be very, very difficult um, to maintain those costs. So despite um, how many of these technologies have um, a lot of appeal, there's some degree of ongoing maintenance, um, so like cleaning or operational oversight. So uh, what do you think from sort of a robotics perspective on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is another area where uh, robotics can definitely heed the call. Um, you know, what robots are really good at performing those sorts of repeatable, more mundane tasks, such as cleaning solar panels. You know, we're, we're seeing some activity there. Um, visual inspection of electrical components for for defects and abnormalities also comes to mind. Uh, this is an area where, you know, in particular, drone technology has really shined, mm-hmm. uh, demonstrating a, a lot of value in those sorts of applications. Where you know, regardless if you're talking about the inspection of renewable assets or ongoing inspection mm-hmm. of traditional transmission and distribution assets, you know, they're able to, to extend the reach of a single Uh, operator a lot further. So we're seeing a lot of applications coming online where robots are being used to not only perceive, but now we're starting to see applications where robots are also interacting with the world. So performing those tasks like cleaning modules to improve uh, ongoing efficiency. And and looking to the future, I guess I would anticipate many more of those types of applications coming online.
1: Yeah, well, I I agree with you. I think that the use of drones in identifying some of those problems. And then, um, you know, artificial intelligence is being used to understand and predict when, when the cleaning is going to need to happen. So there's some mm-hmm. pretty interesting products I think on the market, but you know, one, one interesting thing, and I want to talk about is as like a last area is really fear of robotics. So obviously there's a lot of fear that people have, um, and concern that you know somehow uh, people will lose their jobs over robots. So I'm curious, sort of in this context, can you talk a little bit about that—that that fear that people have?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a topic that uh, has become was definitely very popular. I would say, especially in, within 2019 and even in 2020, uh, where you know news media and a, and a variety of different groups. Um, have, have raised this as a, as a topic of concern, and, and I fully appreciate it, and I understand it. But while that might come across as as scary and create its own challenge of adoption for those in industry, um, where people think robotics and artificial intelligence might actually be coming for your job, the opposite is actually true. And it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, but particularly within, like, even the renewable space, robotics can really be leveraged to lower the cost per watt, lower the time per watt to produce new renewable assets, making renewables more attractive to investors, not only improving the ROI, but also creating more opportunities for more projects, uh, which will likely translate to to more jobs. So robotics and automation aren't necessarily something that should be feared, but rather embraced. Um, You can look at that in a number of adjacent industries. Um, Similarly, within the transmission and distribution space, Uh, Robotics will only be used to help make work safer, more productive, and produce a higher quality output. All these improvements will uh, create higher paying jobs for workers. Um, And again, looking at either adjacencies and other manufacturing environments, and even just looking at the the simple case of drones, right? A a drone pilot, that role didn't exist 20 years ago, but now those are some of the, the better paying roles within industry. So... As we look to the future for those groups that tend to embrace robotic technology, I think they're really going to uh, reap a lot of benefits from that in the way of not only higher paying jobs, but more jobs.
1: I would agree with you. And And I have to go back to the comment that you made about safety, because that is such an important thing to so many people, including people at utilities, including manufacturing. And so if there's a way of keeping people out of harm's way and providing them with different jobs, I think that's a great thing. It really does lead to that fourth area, I think, which is the fear of the unknown because so many people are just not sure. A lot of folks in the energy industry are just risk averse and um, that places, they put a lot of stock in sort of traditional proven methods, um, sometimes more just because it's what they've always known. So trusting technology, I know, can be scary at Carnegie Mellon. We certainly see that with all of the different technologies that that people are trying. And it can be paralyzing when one thinks about something that possibly could go wrong.
0: Yeah, and I mean, going back to the, the dynamic environment that we're within right now amidst COVID and all the other uh, recent trends that you alluded to earlier within this discussion, I, I think it it's raised the topic of if we continue to do the same thing we've always done when we're dealing with these sort of dynamic scenarios, um, we might have created a, an overly fragile system. And I, I would actually argue that the upside potential should challenge a lot of those feelings that people might have you know, robotics can can be used to not only minimize, if not eliminate, a lot of those workplace hazards. You know, regardless if you're talking about fear of contact or risk of contact, I should say, with like a high potential source, or simply handling large, bulky, ergonomically challenging items. Um, even something as simple as going out and working in the the heat of July or the or the snow of uh, January and December, right? Um, in addition, robotics are much more repeatable than humans. So when conducting a given task, they can improve quality of workmanship, potentially improve the longevity of a given asset. And, and again, I know we already hit on this, but finally robotics will improve labor productivity. I mean, it's, I, I view robotics as, as a means by which to give an operator an extra set of hands or an extra set of arms, uh, to do a given task. So. Um, it's just going to make you more effective at doing the things you're doing anyways. So, so I guess, you know, the, the next part I wanted to talk a, a little bit about is probably more the meat that that people are interested in and that's kind of looking to the future and thinking about those, those future opportunities
1: mm-hmm.
0: and overall, I, I think a lot of these, the challenges that we just alluded to also present opportunities to the right organizations within the energy industry. Um, so we, we've already, I think, hit on the fact that you know robotics have a strong track record of improving safety, quality, and productivity. And again, where one can look at other, you know, adjacent markets that have embraced robotics, uh, we've already seen the impact that they've made. Um, and particularly, like if if you think about the automotive market, no one in their right mind would enter into a um, production automobile manufacturing scenario without a high degree of automation or robotics in 2020.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's probably also worth noting the impact that drone technology has had on the commercial industry sector. So this technology is, you know, it first became available commercially around 2013. So, you know, drones have been used for inspection of energy assets um, and they've quickly become a half billion dollar industry. So uh, where do you see sort of those opportunities and, you know, particularly with drones making the biggest impact?
0: Yeah, as you've indicated, most of the technology that's been exploited today is, is being used to simply perceive the world or automate a lot of those inspection-related uh, tasks. Um, I think, as, as, and as the market data has confirmed, right, that is making a huge impact on the industry. Um, again, scrolling the clock back to, I, I wanna say, you know commercial drone technology was first available in the year 2013, and now it's a half billion dollar industry market has definitely responded. So as as we look to the future, I think we'll begin to see more of those applications start to to come forth where robotics are actually interacting with the environment, uh, probably performing many of those more hazardous uh, tasks Mm -hmm. that workers have otherwise had to expose themselves to. Um, So not only will operators be able to see the world through robots, they'll also be able to physically manipulate the environment um, through robotics at some level.
1: Well, you know that that actually brings up another question for me, um, which is since I mean robots have been around for a long time. So, what what what's the big change? Like, how, why has it been enabled, and and why are we getting to this point? I mean, that's a, a a really big industry at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's that's a fair point to 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 point out. So, I would say you know, so commercial industrial robots uh, started around the, the early nineteen sixties and in a lot of ways the robots within like an automotive factory haven't really changed that much i think that's a a fair assessment by by many um there have however been many advancements in a lot of ground robotic platforms uh where we've been producing highly advanced robotic technology that's become much more compact much more power dense um, this is allowing robots to, to be able to navigate tighter cluttered spaces and outdoor environments where, you know, traditional industrial robots that re- relied upon, you know, 483 phase wouldn't be able to do that. Um, second is computing. Uh, so computing's become extremely compact and extremely power dense. Uh, so that's enabled for higher levels of uh, enabled the integration of higher levels of sensing, but also intelligence to enable higher levels of autonomy, uh, which has really been a game changer for a lot of robotic systems. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third component that actually has less to do with the robot and more to do with the human is that there's been a lot of research in human-robot control interfaces mm-hmm. that have made things much more intuitive, much more easy to use uh, for the person who might not have a lot of experience in coding or writing software, they're able to still control robots to perform very complex tasks, uh, minimally allowing for like telepresence, um, but even teleoperation to perform very complex tasks. So I think those are the things that have really kind of changed the framework there.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting, of all the things that you just mentioned, so many of them are strengths of Carnegie Mellon. So you talked about the, com, the human computer interface, which is a strength of ours. Um, and the use of autonomy. So really, really interesting uh, to sort of see how this is coming together with such an impact on the energy industry. So do you have thoughts on sort of additional applications, what some of those applications might be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, And the good news for people within the robotics industry is there is a myriad of opportunities that I see within the energy industry. Um, yeah, maybe we'll start with like transmission and distribution, right? Mm -hmm. There is a lot of opportunity to augment uh, a lot of line work tasks in those hazardous scenarios that extend even beyond, you know, inspection. Um, there's a lot of tasks that people, and granted it's not that workers are putting themselves in an unsafe environment, but they're putting themselves in an environment that there are a lot of known hazards, particularly when we're talking about underground work, um, being in a confined space. Uh, within substations being exposed to uh, high energy sources or even overhead work, just simply being um, working at an elevated height, right? Um, In those scenarios, I don't necessarily see workers being removed from the process. Rather, again, I see robots just coming online as that next new tool to help address those potentially hazardous scenarios. First, improving their safety. Second, improving their labor productivity but then also the quality of their work. I think there's also uh, just as many, if not probably more untapped opportunities within the renewable space as well. Uh, just like we, we had mentioned earlier, many of the construction work practices are almost entirely dependent upon um, human labor, aside from the use of like heavy equipment, right? In order to produce new renewable assets within, particularly within the solar industry, that's, that's extremely true. Um, so I think robotics can help to lessen this dependency upon direct manual labor, improve a lot of you know, ergonomics and safety related uh, concerns and help to also minimize uh, labor costs. And then you know, much like we alluded to earlier as well, I think robotics can help to minimize the labor requirements associated with ongoing operations and maintenance in a variety of different scenarios. Uh, regardless if we're talking about cleaning solar modules, there's a lot of robotics companies already helping to uh, to conduct that task. But I think we're really only scratching the surface there. So I see robotics being used to project human presence where it might be minimally difficult, if not impossible to have humans present. Um, An inspect or uh, a task that comes to mind is, um, the inspection of a lot of underwater components for offshore wind resources. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the big trend with offshore wind right now is everything's getting bigger and, and further offshore to get into those right wind streams. So that creates a challenge where, you know, wind resources are being deployed in deeper waters, stretching with with cables stretching back to land, you know, multiple you know, tens of miles, if not hundreds of miles right. back to land. So the question then becomes, how are we going to Uh, continually inspect a lot of those components between the generation source and where it pits land. Um, The really one of the only options right now is, you know, underwater divers if you wanna do that manually, but that's where I would tend to lean heavier on a robotic resource to try to augment that sort of task. So, well, Anna, I think we covered a lot of ground in our discussion today. Uh, Thanks again for joining me. Of course. Uh, and Anna, if, if people wanted to reach out to the to the Scott Institute, what would be the best way for them to connect?
1: So we have a pretty robust website. Uh, it's www.cmu.edu forward slash energy. And so you can type that in and it has all the information about the programming that we do throughout the year, much of which right now is virtual, but we're hoping to get back to in-person at some point in the future. Um, We have a five-day conference that we host every March called energy week CMU energy week 2021 is already being planned Um, But you can find information on our website about our webinars our programming the 150 or so faculty who do work on energy related topics You can also find my email address there and you can certainly reach out to me directly to ask any questions I'm happy to help you navigate and find the person on campus uh, who is working on the project that is exactly what you're looking for so I can be a resource. Thanks for the opportunity today. I really appreciate it.
0: That's awesome, always. And great, and, and thanks. And for those of you who would like to connect to RE Squared Robotics, again, feel free to uh, reach out to us via our website, www.resquared.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us via our social channels, uh, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. We have a lot of great videos showcasing our robotic technology uh, as well as Twitter and Facebook. So thanks again, and uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, a talk soon. Take care, thanks. bye.
1: Thanks, thanks again.
0: Since 2001, RE Robotics has remained committed to our mission to develop innovative technologies that make a positive impact on the world. RE is a leader in the design, development, and manufacture of human-like robotic technology, solving the most challenging applications in the world. If you would like to be contacted about a robotics application, please email us at myrobots at resquared.com. That's M-Y-R-O-B-O-T-S at resquared.com. To stay up to date with the latest RE Squared news, visit our website at www.resquared.com or you can always follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you'd like to see more videos like this, or videos featuring actual RE squared robots, please subscribe to this channel on YouTube.